We open our Bibles to Deuteronomy, excuse me, chapter 6. I said chapter 5, but actually we finished 5 last week. We're going to now read the first three verses of Deuteronomy 6. And uh, this is really connected to chapter 5, a little bit more commentary on the Ten Commandments and living all of God's laws. But it's also transitioning to what's coming next. The exposition of those Ten Commandments in great detail, expounding upon them, and applying how to live them in all of life. And uh, while there are some aspects of it that are um, uh, temporary for the judicial, uh, the just judicial aspect of the ceremonial system of God's law, there's still a moral equity, and some things are specific and still in much detail apply. We're going to read now again Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 3. May God have give us a heart that he says, Oh, may they have such a heart, which is to hear, to listen, to keep, and to do his commands. And as we'll see today, and to be teaching our children to do the same thing, walking alongside us, studying with us, living the same way, and bringing that on as a marathon, or you could say a, a race of different people, the baton race, bringing that on to the next generation and the next generation. Hear now the word of the Lord, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 3. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and commandments, which I command thee thou, and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey." May God bless the reading, the preaching, the hearing, the believing, and the obeying of his holy word. Again, we're about to enter into the expounding and the applying of great detail of the Ten Commandments. Uh, You might remember uh, that early on we looked at the structure of the Ten Commandments, or excuse me, the structure Ten Commandments serve the same structure in, in micro form, but the whole book of Deuteronomy, a renewal peace treaty, um, we, we looked at the organization and structure, and uh, one of the things is the Ten Commandments is part of that structure, and then what follows is the building of understanding the Ten Commandments in great detail and how to live them in so many parts of your life. So the summary of God's law is the Ten Commandments, and now we're about to enter next week uh, with the teaching in greater detail of the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, uh, which is the Shema, teaching the first commandment. You'll have no other gods before me. Now, we remember also that next week we'll be starting with, it's Jesus says, the greatest commandment. The Shema is the beginning of the expounding of the first commandment, but it's also uh, the greatest commandment, Jesus says. And so we're getting prepared for that with this idea of hear, That will come up a lot, and the great Shema starts with Shema Israel, hear, O Israel. 
Again, before we get there, even though we've started a new chapter, although remember that chapter and verse divisions is a, is a more modern, uh, useful tool for us. It's not the original scriptures, but it helps us uh, divide them. Uh, but this section is a bit of an introduction to what's coming next, but it's also a bit of a conclusion to what has just preceded us as preparation. And I, I kind of look at it a little bit more like that. Uh, and here's one of the things that's a cue to me in the Hebrew that you won't see in your English Bibles. I don't think there's really a way to do that other than the King James has a paragraph marker usually in some versions of it. But there's actually a backwards P, or it looks like a backwards P, a little bit of a tail around the bottom in the Hebrew. Uh, a reverse P, uh, which is the, the letter pay in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and the way it's being used in this function is a grammatical tool. It's called a uh, forgive me for probably not saying it too well. Uh, parasha patucha. I won't try to say it again. But basically, when you see it in the Hebrew, it's a it's a way of marking we're making a transition. It's kind of like saying, okay, we're we're kind of done with this, and we're transitioning into a new subject or a new way of looking at the subject. And so that's there in the Hebrew at the end of verse three. It's the last thing that backwards p with a tail at the bottom. Uh, that's a letter pay in, in Hebrew, and it me. It's in this place when you see that, and there's another similar kind of a letter that sometimes does this in a similar sense. We're making a transition. Uh, Jonathan or Stay explains this sign in the Hebrew that you don't see marks a significant break. So we're we're at the end of this text. We're making a break. We're making a change. It's preparing us. It's ending what just came and opening what comes next. It's a significant shift. I should say, uh, Jonathan Oristay says, it's a sign that marks a significant shift in theme or subject. And so it begins at the start of a new line. So it's almost really the saying we're starting a new paragraph, but it's also indicating thus we've ended the parag- the, what came before. Uh, J.G. McConville, not commenting on that sign, but identifying these verses as that what's happening today. These verses are, he says, uh, now more often taken closely with chapter 5, verses 27 to 33. So he's recognizing a lot of people kind of see these verses as the beginning of chapter 6. But he says most people better recognize now that it's really particularly related to what just came that we've looked at recently. Uh, as the culmination of the discourse immediately following the Decalogue. You remember there's been a few things after the Ten Commandments, such as recognize this is permanent, and uh, then uh, there's been this idea of that we need a mediator in Jesus Christ to give it to us, to hear it and live it out. Uh, and then also we saw uh, that uh, it's something that we're supposed to do and keep, and as the Lord would bless us to do that, we'd have a blessed life. Stray the, stay, the, stay the straight way and live a good life. And so these verses are kind of tacking on to the end of that, getting us ready for a new section next week, which is the beginning of the great explanation and application of the Ten Commandments, starting with the great Shema and the beginning of explaining and applying the first commandment in detail. Okay, This is kind of finishing the general commentary, preparing us for the specific details that come. It's a final summary of the Ten Commandments in specifics to open up the beginning of their broad exposition and application in all of life. Remember, they're reminded that they are to live this way, and they're about to go into the promised land. And so there's particular application of how to live these things out where they're about to go. Okay, The summary of the Ten Commandments is for God's people to hear, 
keep and do them for their prosperity and progeny. I give that to you as the main idea of our text today. The summary of the Ten Commandments is for God's people to hear, keep, and do them for their prosperity and progeny. Now, children, if you don't know those words, prosperity is blessings and good experiences. Progeny means you, for their children, for their children's children. I want to encourage us as we would be raising our children, raising our grandchildren. And I want to encourage you children to be thinking about God would have you mostly, uh, most of you have covenant children and be raising them up to have their children and be building God's church, Christ's kingdom. McConville also says this, conceptually, the two chapters are linked, chapter 5 and chapter 6, through these verses, by the idea of extending the laws given on Horeb, or Mount Sinai, into the regular lives of the people into future generations, as they go into the promised land, and then later in Christ as it goes throughout all the world. And you might think again of the Sermon on the Mount as similarly, Jesus Expanding his kingdom again now through all the world. And he's reminding, here's how kingdom citizens must live as they go throughout all the world. Certainly have the Sermon on the Mountain view here as well. Because that's also Christ even further showing how deep and wide God's commands go. In life, in living life. Your regular lives are to beget lives and bring them life. And the right living. So live a legacy of godly fear, and love. That's the message for you. Live a legacy of godly fear and love. I was going to have the message be this. Leave a legacy of godly fear and love. And that is the idea. But to do that, you've got to live. You've got to live the legacy. You have no legacy to leave if you don't live it. And live it with your children. You don't leave it behind like the riches of this world. You leave the legacy with them by living it with them alongside you, teaching them, and then teaching them to bring it to their children and build the church. So the message for you again, live a legacy of godly fear and love. May your life leave a legacy to your covenant children and generations of Christ's church. First idea we look at from the text. May your life leave a legacy to your covenant children and generations of Christ's church. Like Abraham, the father of the faith. Genesis eighteen nineteen, and I'll quote it for you. The Lord is speaking to the angels about what they're about to do in Sodom. And it's going to be destroyed, this ungodly place, leaving a legacy of death and filth and brokenness. And clearly, there's a sinful people with sinful sons. The sons are also there with dads trying to bang on uh, Lot's house and get in after the angels. I mean, it's just what they've left as a legacy, how they're living with their children to live. Most of how children develop is contextual. It needs to be the context of the covenant. And notice, Abraham is raising his children to be a legacy in the covenant. And so God says, I'm going to reveal to Abraham what we're about to do because of the way he's living with his children. Look at this, Genesis 18, verse 19. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment 
that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. That's why he's going to reveal more details about the way the world's going because of Abraham, the way he's living in the world and living with his children to be a legacy in the world. You see, God's means of blessing Abraham's children is Abraham himself and his teaching them the ways of living redeemed life for the Lord as covenant people, as covenant children, as God's church. We don't wait for our children to figure that out later after going the way of the world. We teach them now to stay close in the church and not become the world. But to know what Jesus says, you're to be in it, but not of it. And that's a lifestyle choice. The ways of living according to God's law, the Ten Commandments. The purpose of the commands, in verse 1, is to increase the people of the covenant by leaving a legacy of covenant connection in Israel as the people of God. Remember, in Genesis 12, God promised to Abraham, and reflected this later when he reiterated it, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. That's why your name is changing from Avram to Avraham, the father of many nations. Now, he only had one covenant child, right? In terms of the true uh, people of God, Isaac. But through him, when we get to where we are now in Deuteronomy, think about this. These are the children of Abraham. Millions, millions through generations of God's people who have raised them to know God and live as the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is building his kingdom. God is building a witness of his kingdom on earth, which will just expand when Christ, as he has now come. Look at the first part of verse 3. Deuteronomy five, or excuse me, Deut- Deuteronomy six, verse three, the first part. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee. Uh, it's something like this in the Hebrew that you might much increase Israel. Here, I do want to challenge folks. You seem a bit sleepy today. And you're not going to hear anything. This is pretty important. So I I know we're all coming from different situations that might have caused that today. I'm pretty tired too. Uh, But I want you to hear what's being said as best you can. God helping us. Hear that you might increase. That you might increase and grow the church with your covenant children. How are you to raise your covenant children that you'll find them in the church and their children's children generations from now, years, decades from now? That's a pretty important thing we want to focus on and hear from the Lord today that we don't miss it. Israel, his name is Israel now, the church, the Lord God of your fathers, again notice. This name Israel has a context, has a history to it. The God of your fathers, he says. There is a covenantal connection to the past. That is, to grow into the covenant people of the future, and it happens through their families primarily. We know that God brings others into the church who were not Israel. We know that Christ especially is advancing his kingdom, bringing others in from other nations. But the promise is to you and to your children. There's a covenantal connection. Verse 2 says, your sons and your sons' sons. 
Now look at verse 7 of the text. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. The way you leave a legacy, the way you develop covenant children in the church, is to teach them yourself. It isn't that you can't benefit from other kinds of teaching, such as Sabbath classes, other ways to teach children, but you parents are primarily the ones to teach your children, which is why we have your children here in church with you. And then you go home and teach them and remind them what they've learned. We don't separate them from us. They grow alongside their parents. They learn how to listen by being alongside their parents. They learn how to care by watching their parents care. Remember the study we went through uh, on uh, video sermons when I was on vacation a few times by Joel Beakey and how to prepare your children to come to church and listen in church. Most of the message was about how we are to behave as their example. Your sons, your sons' sons, teach them, teach them, teach them. To become one of same mind and to become one of same service. Thus in verses 2 and 3, the word you... In the Hebrew, this is more obvious, especially as our our English isn't as obvious anymore, although the King James can be. You, the word you, becomes a collective singular. What does that mean? God is now speaking to the people as his son, Israel, as is spoken of in Hosea 11, the type of Christ in Matthew 2. He changes from speaking in the plural, use guys, you know, yuns, as they say in Pittsburgh, y'all, in certain parts of the South, all y'all in Texas, by my understanding. He switches from the plural to the singular. Now when you hear you here, he's speaking in the singular to the people as one body. And that's what we have to recognize. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Christ. We live for his kingdom. We should be most concerned with the church. Most concerned to teach our children, don't be preparing yourself primarily for that vocation or that job or that thing to do. As much as they're not wrong and we need to help them think about what they're going to do. Think primarily first about the church and how you will be part of building it. So that will affect where you decide to go with your life. If you're going to make a move physically, it's going to be first to the best church you can get to. Not moving for a job or weather and then saying, well... I'll try to find the best church there is, because often there's nothing close. Or if you are going to move such a place, talking with your church about trying to do a church plant there, working with that. It's all got to be focused on building the church, building the kingdom of Christ. It's what we're here for, pilgrims. The only nation that will be existing on earth in the future is the kingdom of our Lord. All other kingdoms will be gone. We want our children to be investing in the kingdom that will be here always. So they'll be with us there forever. I want to show you, and this is just a little bit of a taste. I I can't go to all the verses that would talk about this, even in Deuteronomy. But let's, let's go through Deuteronomy to just see this emphasis on our children and our responsibility to help them understand themselves as covenant children and thus how to live for our covenant God. That not only they, but their children's children would be found here in the church serving God. And you know, if we're going to lament those who have left the church, wherever our backgrounds come from and other churches we've been at, let's recognize why that is. A lack of parental training. A lack of parents teaching their children to know their identity in Christ so they don't find their identity somewhere else. Or within someone else, but within Christ. 
and living for him. That comes from your example, and that comes from your deliberate discipleship of them. And the church will only go so far as parents are doing that. The pastor, the elders, can only do so much. We're training you to train your children. We're all working to help one another build our individual families as the bigger family of Christ. And notice, this is a big concern of God for his covenant people. And he has our children in mind. And he has us in mind as the one to disciple his and our children. Look with me at Deuteronomy 4, verse 1. We've already seen this in the text. Deuteronomy 4, verse 1. Now, therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers give you. Now look at verse 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget thy things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from the heart of the heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Don't let it depart from you so it doesn't depart from your children and their children. And in a few generations, where's the church? I don't see it. We know that God prefers a remnant, but sometimes, even to God's own people, it's as if they're gone. Uh, look to verse 40 of chapter 4. Thou shalt keep, therefore, his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. Notice the sense of blessing of being God's people, teaching our children to do the same things, keeping God's commands is synonymous with being God's people. We're not saying keeping God's commands earns us eternal life because we can't perfectly keep them. That's why we look to Christ. But as we keep our God's commands, we teach our children to love Christ who says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And love is obedience to God's law. The fulfillment of the law is love for God and for his people. So we're teaching people how to love God and his people when we teach our children how to live God's laws. And if we don't teach our children by example and by command how to teach, live God's laws, we shouldn't be surprised when they don't love God and they don't love his people. Because it all goes together. It's an expression of being people who know the love of God. Look with me to chapter 5, verse 10. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. He says the opposite in the verse before. Several generations of the children are going to die if they are not taught by you, by your life and your teaching to live for him. But on the contrary, thousands of generations. This is in God's view. This should be in your purview. Thousands of generation after generation being blessed by the Lord for our love of the Lord, living his commands and teaching our children to love the Lord and keep his commands. It's a way of life. It's the way of leaving a legacy of life. Look with me to chapter 6, verse 20. So we're going to go beyond where we are today. Chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. Now remember, the Shema starts all this. 20 and 21, the first part. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, And then you'll explain your covenant history of deliverance and explain why we're living this way. 
And you explain to people today, Jesus Christ has saved me and saved our household from the world and made us Christians. And so we are to live these ways as an example and a testimony that we are God's people. That we are saved out of this world. That we are a peculiar nation of holy priests and kings of God. That's what living his law is. It's a witness. It's a way of life. It's a light in a dark world. And the goal is that you're living such a way and teaching your children in such a way that they do ask you because they have, them, they have something to see to ask you about. Look to chapter 11. Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 to 19. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart, and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Wherever you are all the time, you should be teaching your children. And as they ask questions, you really want to try to teach them. For example, the Lord uh, provided a gracious thought uh, when I was sitting in uh, Gabriel's bedroom with him. He started playing with his magnet blocks and he built a house out of them. And the Lord helped me to think about what Jesus said. uh, If you build your house on the rock, which is, as we learned last week again, which is to do what Jesus commands, it is like building your house on a rock. And when the storms come, it won't wash away all that you've built. Isn't it frustrating for a child or any of us when we built this nice house and then, bam, usually a little brother or sister comes and kicks it over, right? And we want it to stand and stand strong. But if you don't do what Jesus says, it's like building your house on the sand, remember. And so thankfully, just sitting there, as I was sitting in the way, as it says here, the Lord is always providing opportunities to teach. And especially Christ gives us so many illustrations in his teachings. Look for those opportunities. Always be looking to teach your children. And a lot of times we've got to be able to sacrifice time and energy to do it. But that's time and energy we won't get back. And it's a foundation that we're building for them to be on the rock in future days and years to come. Look at me to chapter 32, and this will be the last place we look at on this topic. Deuteronomy chapter 32, beginning with verse 46. Deuteronomy 32, 46 to 47. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do, all the words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. And through this thing ye shall prolong your days in the land, whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. So you're leaving a legacy, even if you live it now, with the words of Joshua at the end. Decide who's going to be your God this day. As for me and my house, that is my children, we will serve the Lord. And we should have our grandchildren of you when we say that. Even if they're not here yet. And we should have their children and their grandchildren of you. Our goal is to live a legacy, to teach a legacy 
Nothing makes me more excited than to consider, with all of my failings, that as I seek by God's grace to live this more and more, that there will be so many children after me that I won't even ever meet. But the Lord allows a legacy of families after families, generations after generations, building Christ's church. When I consider how many grandchildren the Lord might mercifully grant me, just in pure numbers of our own children, I get excited what that could do to build God's church. But it will only happen if this legacy is being given to them to carry on with them. But what a glorious, what a glorious idea. This is the way. This is your life. This is your life. Not your job. Not your career. Not your education. Your life is your children. Your life is the children of the church. And they don't have to be your biological children to have that same passion and commitment. Your life is God's church and the advancement of it, certainly through evangelism, but not to neglect the discipleship of our own within our walls. How blessed to love and fear God. Psalm 128, which you sang this morning, verses 3 and 6. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children, like olive plants, round about thy table. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children. And peace upon Israel. Notice the connection in Israel, the church. But you'll see your children's children. The blessing of being grandparents in the church with covenant children. The blessing of being seniors in the church and seeing God providing new children to help us grow. Acts chapter 2, verse 39 in the New Testament. Peter's sermon. This promise that was to Abraham, your father, is to you and your children. I'm paraphrasing. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Paul says, and ye fathers. Now remember, he has first spoken to the children. That they need to live and serve the Lord. And it's the first commandment with a promise. Which is what? Life will go long and well for you doesn't promise life without problems, but it promises us a good life of handling problems with eternal life and the new heavens and earth ahead of us in Christ. But Paul says to the parents, after the children know how to learn, how are they going to learn? Parents, you've got to teach them. Ephesians 6, verse 4. And ye fathers, understand that as parents, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of of the Lord. As you consider nurture and admonition, we must recognize to provoke them to wrath is not to bother to raise them as they're to be raised, to neglect them in spiritual things and in Christ. By the way, children, when your father and mother say it's time for family worship, we're going to have a devotion, you need to recognize their love of you training you so that you're in the church and you're in Christ and you know him savingly and you're living for him. When they bring you to church, you need to recognize the blessing you have of your parents raising you in church and in Christ that most of the world doesn't have. Be teachers. Be teachers. 
Don't forget the benefit of catechizing. That's why so many times in the Reformed Church and the Puritans, they developed catechisms. What does the word catechism relate to? The idea is to instruct systematically with question and answers in a searching way that draws out of the heart of your child, not only in discipline, but in discipleship. As the proverb says, my son, give me thine heart. You're asking questions to search their heart. Teach them to search their own heart and make sure to see that Jesus is there and understand the way to live for Jesus. We have catechizing every Sunday night. May they see us catechizing ourselves and may they be working on the catechism. I know we're busy. I know we're tired. There are seasons of life where it's particularly hard. Do the best you can. We return every year to it. Praise the Lord. You can build up on that. May we be a church just that over the years our children are in the context, not just being taught in a class by themselves by the pastor, but alongside their parents and everyone else in the church, we're doing the best we can to learn and grow and study and search our own hearts and know that the Lord is there. John Curd says this of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. Here is the command that parental teaching ought to dominate the lives of our children. What should be the dominating aspect of the lives of your children? You teaching them. We'll get into those details more in weeks to come. How do you teach? First be students. Learn. Moses is told, you teach them. Primarily, we need to therefore be good students as the adults. Before we can teach anybody, ouch. How how, how do you leave a legacy? You live it. You live it. So live the kind of church life for your children to learn from and follow in following Christ. May your life leave a legacy to your covenant children and generations of Christ's church. Thus, live the kind of church life your children will learn from and follow Christ in. Live the kind of church life for your children to learn from and follow in following Christ. You want to have this as your heart in Psalm 78, verses 4 to 7. Maybe we didn't get the same kind of training and we should have. Maybe even in the church, we weren't really raised the way we should have been. Well, what should a heart say? Well, I didn't get it, so I don't have it to give. No, that's not the heart you you have. You say this, Psalm 78, 4 to 7. And they were singing of wanting to be better Christian parents than they had experienced. And they said this, Psalm 78, 4 to 7. We will not hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. 
Now you could go look at Psalm 22, verses 30 and 31. We won't go there. But in the prophecy of Christ the Messiah, who had suffered and died according to the prophecies, then rose and now speaks and leads his people in worship. And the end of it all, the last few verses of chapter 22 of Psalm 22, is that there will be a future seed who seeks him. Teach your children by your example of learning. First of all, in verse 1, Moses is going to teach you. Will your children look at you and worship, and will it look like you're listening and learning? Will they see a humble face and a humble posture in how you're receiving the word of the God preached? Teach your children by your example of keeping God's commands. Verses 2 and 3. Teach your children by then hearing and doing. Verse 3. And this is a phrase so often through the scriptures and Deuteronomy. May you hear. May you keep. May you do. All God's commandments, notice again, all of them. As a way of redeemed life. A way of living for your Redeemer. Out of your Redeemer. And notice also you need to teach them by your example of verse 2, which is really behind whether you're listening at all right now. Whether you intend to do any of this right now. Do you fear the Lord? Fear the Lord. Without fear, you're not going to listen. Without fear, you're not going to keep. You're not going to hear. I often see it in preaching. I see it in the posture. I see it in the faces of some. A lack of fear. They're not taking this place and this moment seriously as if God is actually here preaching to you to live for him and to make your children follow your example. It starts with fear, reverence, awe of God Almighty. Verse 2, fear the Lord. Now, this is something people don't like anymore. We only want a gospel of how to get out of hell. We only want a gospel that talks about grace. We don't want a gospel that tells us how we're to live for our gracious Savior. But it's all there. And the lack of living for our Savior shows that most likely we're not saved and we don't have him as our Savior. Teaching people to keep and having a love of the Lord and a fear of him is what is seen as hand and glove related to being his people and building his church. Look at chapter 5 again of Deuteronomy, verse 29 that we heard from last week. This needs to be our heart for our children and how we'll be making that happen, leading that to happen by his grace and his spirit, just as he has this heart for we his children and through us his children's children. Deuteronomy 5, verse 29. They've asked that Moses will be the mediator to give them God's law, and they said, we'll do it. God's response in verse 29, Oh, that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Starts with fear. Fear is why we'll live for the Lord and not ourselves and not in the world. Respect, reverence. Not wanting to displease him. And that should go on to our children forever. Look with me to chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. Chapter 13, verse 4. 
Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. Notice again the connection with obedience and fear. A lack of obedience is a lack of fear of the Lord, a lack of respect. Children, a lack of obedience of your parents is a lack of respect for them, and thus a lack of respect for God the Father who told them to command you and give you these examples to follow and to know these commands and do them. A lack of obedience is a lack of fear, and frankly, a lack of love. Now, to many who even hear all those words of fear, and it's just a small part And think we're not supposed to have a fear of the Lord. Now, certainly it's not a fear of judgment unless we're outside of the Lord. Our children should have a fear of judgment unless they're truly in the Lord. That's a good motivation to want to go to be in heaven. But if we're in the Lord and our children are not in the Lord, there's this fear, this sense of respect, this sense of showing it. And it's directly connected to love. But remember, the Proverbs teach us what we should be teaching our children. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't approach God, even if you're smart and think you're going to get anything out of it or live it properly, unless you have a proper humility before the Lord and fear. And not seek to exalt yourself in your knowledge or behavior, but the Lord God only. That your children would think and act the same. But the Proverbs also teach us what? The fear of the Lord. It's by the fear of the Lord that men depart from evil. If we want to see our children obey the Lord and depart from evil ways, we have to teach them the fear of the Lord. And that is discipleship and it is in, it is in discipline. Sometimes when our children won't fear us, they're not going to fear the Lord and we have to put the proper fear of us in them. With the proper consequences related to their age and appropriate things so that they end up getting back to the attitude they should have to their father and mother. Living accordingly, so they have the right attitude to the Lord and are truly having Him live in them, and thus they live for Him. It doesn't come from babying them, it doesn't come from rewarding rebellion, it doesn't come from letting them figure it out on their own. It comes from teaching them and teaching them by our example of continuing to change and grow, and teaching them by our example of repenting when we fail, and not excusing ourselves. Fear of the Lord, living in the ways of the Lord, is love. Again, we'll see that beginning with the exposition of the first commandment next week, which Christ explains is the first greatest commandment. But look at chapter 10, verse 12. Fear of the Lord, living for the Lord, is love. Chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to love him? And to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And that is so much reflecting the words of Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. The great Shema and following. Notice the connection of fear with love. And the connection of fear and love with how to live the right way according to his ways. These verses that we're looking at this morning are again setting up the great Shema in verse 4. 
that we would want our children ultimately to love God. To love his people. And love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the summary of the Ten Commandments. If we want our children to love God. If we want our children to love one another. That will be seen in their desire to do what he says. John Currid writes this. The purpose of Deuteronomy is educational. It is to teach the people of God how to behave in every area of life. And the two main principle of that principles of that teaching are to fear God and to obey his commandments. That's what we're to teach our children. Yes, in Christ, who said, I didn't come to do away with one jot or tittle of the law, but to fulfill it. In verse 1, Moses is to teach, so we are to learn, so we can teach. P.C. Craigie writes this, The object of Moses' teaching of the law was lifelong fear or reverence of the Lord your God. The evidence of this reverence would be seen in the obedience of the Israelites to God's law, and its fruit would be long life. What's the evidence that you love God? Just as Jesus says, keeping my commandments. And as is said elsewhere, his commands are not grievous to us. We love to do them because they reflect who he is, and we love him. We want to be more like him. We want to live a good life with him, close to him. The test is whether we are living a life of fearing and loving the Lord. Whether we have learned and are learning that we may teach by example, including again repentance and growth in grace. And we are also teaching by instruction to understand these things. God who first loved you commands you so that verse 3, all the days of your life, that it and the lives of your children may go well with what God is providing for you. He's giving his commands to you out of a, as a loving father. Just as we teach our children the right way to live. Physically, so they don't die, such as getting hit by a car, knowing to mind the rules of how, not to, how to look for and be careful not to die, especially from the signs that teach us to watch. But also teach them uh, how to li- have uh, eternal life and to be living that abundant life of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Paul House again, uh, God's love is evident in his desire that all go well with Israel. The fact that he's giving you commandments shows his love. He wants it to go well with you. And you think back to verse uh, 29 of chapter 5. Oh, that it would, I want you to do this in verse 28, that it would go well for you all. He wants life to go well for you. And he's not saying, oh, that they would have a great job. Oh, that they would have a great education. These can be very good. I'm not speaking of them as wrong in themselves. But the problem is we make them our idols for our children. And then they don't know God. And then they're not living for God. And they die outside of the church in God. And what good is that education for them? And what good is all that money that they can't bring with them but store up in barns when the day or night that God says your soul is required of you and they can't even have it to enjoy in hell? Away from God and his people. Away from living the glorious, wonderful life of his law in the new heavens and the new earth. Wherefore, 
We receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. We looked at a lot of that in context last week. In the New Testament church, after Christ has come and ascended on high, when he comes back, he'll shake not only the earth but heaven. And we are told, we are told that we should serve God acceptably. What is the way to serve God acceptably? Children, be ready to answer this. How do we serve God acceptably? With reverence or that is fear. With awe and with godly fear. And that will be seen in that we say, yes, I'll do what you say, God. By your grace, helping me. But notice what it says. May we have grace that we would serve God with reverence and godly fear. Having grace will make us do that. Not doing it is a lack of grace, even in, either in degree or whether it's there at all or not. Psalm 2, verses 11 and 12, about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Beloved, would you have your life? Would you have your children's life go well? Truly? More importantly, inwardly than outwardly? But thus to have the proper outward life? What parent doesn't say, I want my children's life to go well, and I'll sacrifice in any way I need to for them? Then sacrifice your life in living for Christ, striving after more Christ-likeness, as Paul said to us, and not letting anyone get in the way of that happening. And he's going to particularly tell you about what to watch out for with weeping tonight in Philippians. Would, your children, would you like that your children's life would go well and that your life would go well with them? That they would know Jesus and have eternal life in him to live abundantly now and on the way to the eternal promised land? Psalm 128, verses 1 and 4. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Now that's the same psalm I quoted earlier. How blessed you'll be to have children and grandchildren and enjoy them as the church in a covenant context. Well, how's that going to happen? If you fear the Lord, which he calls you today, if you respect God and take him seriously in the preaching of his word, that you would hear it. In the listening to his word in the way that you would keep it. That you would love him. And that you would love him so much that you want your children's children to say, My father's God is my God and I will live for him. My father's savior is my savior and I will follow Christ. He teaches them through you. He teaches them through you whether you make a deliberate effort to do that or whether you just neglect it. 
You are the ones who will teach them primarily all their lives. Here's a similar conclusion to that of today's text concluding the Ten Commandments in general and broadly before we look at them more detailed with the exposition of the first commandment starting next week with the great Shema. Here's a similar conclusion as you think of it all. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. I remind you, how is the larger and shorter catechism, particularly the larger catechism, broken up? By two main categories. I believe it's question and answer number five. What do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. First, first question and answer, larger and shorter, what's your chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And we're being taught... That's by fearing God and living for him. Paul N. Benware, commenting on this text and what comes, says this. Parents were to be the key in the communication of God's truth from generation to generation. He's particularly citing verses 1 to 9 of chapter 6. Parents were to teach their children to fear the Lord and to love the Lord. Chapter 6, verses 2, 5, and 12. He says they were to be diligent in this task. Later on, parents in Israel would violate this instruction with the result that whole generations would grow up not knowing the Lord. Quoting from Judges 2, verse 10. It's striking, isn't it? Judges 2, verse 10. Get to the point where nobody knows the Lord. Because the parents aren't teaching or living for the Lord. A lot of them didn't join with Joshua saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if enough houses are doing the opposite and testifying the opposite, if not explicitly by implication, you get to the point of Judges 2.10 when the children of the future generations are uh, being disciplined by the Lord because they are not knowing the Lord. And you know how it continues to go from there and thus the need for the prophets. How does that happen? How does the opposite happen? First, by studying to show thyself approved. Living your own life before and with them in a way that shows you know Jesus as your king and savior. And that you are, by his covenant grace, taking them with you into his eternal kingdom. And I'd encourage you to have the end of the pilgrim's progress we just studied and finished today in view. Oh, that someone would write book three. For our children and our children's children. Beloved, live a legacy of godly fear and love. You want to leave a legacy of faith and the church to your children, then you must live it with them and teach them to live it. Live a legacy of godly fear and love for you, for your children, for your children's children, for the church. 
for Jesus Christ and his kingdom that advances against the gates of hell. Whether we're in it or not. Whether our children are in it or not. But oh, that it would be. You want to leave such a legacy? Live a legacy of godly fear and love. Are you listening? Have you been listening? Are you listening with fear and love? Will you keep it alongside your children? Prodding them forward, teaching them to know these things, and showing them these things are important by living them. Pointing them to Christ as being their Savior, their Deliverer, and following after Christ as an example and sign that it's real and true. Live a legacy of godly fear and love. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, we pray that this legacy is real and true for us and will be seen in our seeking to live every jot and tittle more and more, all of thy commands, and not allowing anyone to get in the way of that, and our striving after Christlikeness, as Paul's teaching us tonight. Lord, that our children would not stray from the way, but they would know Jesus, who is the way, and follow his way as they are being led to eternal life and enjoying the abundant life along the way. Yes, with persecution, but the kind of life and ability to live it that Paul has in Philippians, rejoicing in his chains, rejoicing in his sufferings as it advances the kingdom, and calling upon the Philippians and others to follow his example, following also the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, that is, following all their example in following Christ, not having the bad example that we'll see him talk about tonight of worldliness that leads to death, but that you would help us to have the mind of Christ following after the examples that lead us to follow Christ, who comes from heaven, whose final destination for us is heaven. We pray you would bless us, O Lord, to be in the world, but not of it, that we'd be in the kingdom of heaven and advancing it with you, with our children by our side, sending them forward after our departure with their children. For the glory of God, for the exaltation of King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.